You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Hi there, good morning. So as uh, Paul said, my name's Thomas, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm part of the team here at Manchester Vineyard. I have the privilege of overseeing both the, the youth and, and prayer uh, here in this church. And this morning, I want to actually talk about uh, forgiveness, the subject of forgiveness, and in particular, forgiving others who have wronged us. Because we all need this, right? All of us have been wronged at some point in our lives. And I was thinking of an example of this, and uh, one time uh, I, was, uh, I was having lunch uh, before Hetwa and I were together, and you know how there are two types of people, so there's uh, those that eat what they enjoy most first, and those who leave what they enjoy most last to finish on that. Uh, so I'm the kind of person that will leave the, the good stuff till the end, essentially, to finish on that. So I'd left some Haribo sweets just to the side uh, for when I'd finished, and Hetel comes along and grabs the Haribo, and before I can do anything, she just puts it in her mouth. And you can imagine the outrage, I know. Um, I still have some forgiving to do, because I've obviously not (laughs) forgotten it. Uh, But jokes aside, when we think of forgiveness, and in particular forgiving others, uh, we don't think about that kind of stuff. We think of the hard stuff, right? The stuff that really hurts us. Like maybe forgiving a friend who, you know, you found out they've been telling others uh, something about you that you'd confided in them, and they've, they've broken your trust. Or forgiving that bully that made your teenage lives miserable. Or the person that burgled you, maybe. These are the things that are hard to forgive, right? Maybe right now, you're, you know, even now you're feeling hurt due to something that someone has done to you. And you're struggling to forgive them because you're, you're in pain. You're feeling that pain. And we're exposed to situations every day that hurt us and require that level of forgiveness. And for us to practice that forgiveness day by day. And we know that forgiving others is important. And from a medical stance, actually, studies have shown that the act of forgiveness can reap huge, uh, huge rewards for our health. So it might lower your risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol and, uh, and uh, blood pressure. Your sleep will improve. It reduces pain, levels of anxiety, depression, stress. And for me, working in the NHS as a practice nurse, I'm thinking, wow, we could actually prescribe to people being more forgiving, maybe, somehow, and uh, it might solve a few issues. So experts agree that forgiveness and and being forgiving is important for our health, but how is forgiveness important for our faith? So this morning, we're going to answer that question and explore a couple of things around forgiveness. So I'll just run you through the the points so you know where we're going. Uh, And so first, we're going to look at how forgiveness is part of God's character uh, and central to our faith in Jesus. Then we'll move on to uh, my second point, which will uh, essentially say that there, there is a, uh, it makes it easier to forgive others when we have an understanding of God's forgiveness for us. And finally, we'll briefly look at some practical tips uh, that can help us on our journey of forgiving others. So first point, God is forgiving. And in fact, He's always been forgiving. It's in his character. We see it in the Bible time and time again that while people actively seek to destroy their relationship with God, he remains faithful to them. 
we can say that from the moment that we turned away from God, he has been seeking to reconcile that relationship, forgiving again and again. In Exodus 34, Moses says, the Lord, it says of the Lord that he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion and faithfulness, maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Or you may have heard before that famous verse in Psalm 30 that says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. There's a song about that. I'm sure you've heard it. However, the magnitude, the depth of God's forgiveness is best seen in Jesus' death and resurrection. As we have just celebrated Easter and remember Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be glad knowing that it was for the forgiveness of our sins that Jesus gave himself for us. And at the Last Supper, Jesus is talking about his death when he takes the cup and says, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of your sins. That was the reason Jesus came to us. He came to die so that our sins would be forgiven, culminating God's mission to reconcile himself to us, to reconcile himself to the world and inaugurating his kingdom in, on earth in the same time. And this is what our faith stands on, Jesus' saving act on the cross, dying for us, forgiving us the wrongs that we have done, was the foundation of a movement that has since spread throughout the world. Jesus' death and resurrection display God's forgiving character and are so intrinsically linked to our faith as Christians that the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian believers, believers uh, that if Jesus didn't die and was not raised from the dead, then what hope do we have? And he says, none at all. We don't have any hope. So I'll just read from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 19. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all people most to be pitied. So without the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have no faith. It says it is futile, which means pointless. And he doesn't end there, but reminds us that without Jesus, we are still in sin, and there is no hope beyond this life. And this just goes to show how key Jesus' death and resurrection are uh, to the forgiveness of our sins, and therefore our faith. And the truth is, as we have, have been singing this morning, actually, we have been forgiven, which is great news. We do have hope, not just for this life, but what's to come. So, quick recap. We know God is forgiving. It's in his character. We see it all over the Bible, but especially in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And this forgiveness is foundational for our faith, and it's what our faith is, faith is based on. But sometimes it can be quite hard actually to grasp how big a deal this forgiveness that God has extended to us really is. It's hard to grasp the depth, the magnitude of his forgiveness. And we're not alone in struggling on this. Jesus' disciples struggled with the concept of forgiveness too. So Jesus told them a parable to explain. And the parable showcases this enormity of how much we have been forgiven and what is expected of us in light of that forgiveness. 
And we can find it in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 21. We're going to be following through that. So if you do have a Bible with you, you can grab that and you can follow along as, as we read. Uh, and this passage comes in the context of Jesus teaching his disciples what to do when someone sins against them. And we follow on from here, verse 21. Uh, so Peter came up to, uh, to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, depending on the translation. And we'll just stop here for a second. Notice that Peter's question is actually fairly reasonable. He already knows that he should forgive others. And rabbis taught as much. Uh, they said you should forgive people uh, who wrong you, but actually only three times, which is interesting. So Paul is actually being quite generous here with his, offers, his offer of forgiving seven times. And if you think about it, it's not, it's not easy to forgive someone who has wronged you seven times. So think about that for a second. Imagine you have to forgive someone seven times. Forgiving once is hard enough. Imagine your, your partner, your housemate, uh, steals your, your Easter egg. Sorry if that's a bit too fresh, if that has actually happened to you. Um, so this year, you know, you forgive them. This once, surely, yeah. And next year, the same thing happens. One day, your Easter egg is in the cupboard, safe. The next, it's not. And you think, oh, it's happened again. So imagine someone stole your Easter egg seven years in a row. What would you, I know it's bad, yeah. What would you do? Would you still forgive them? And I mean, you probably by now keep your egg on lockdown, you know, security, tape, alarms, but, but surely it's becoming almost impossible for you to forgive them, right? You don't mess with people's Easter eggs, everyone knows that. So, so Peter is asking essentially, how far should my forgiveness go? How many times should I forgive, against, uh, should I forgive those who sin against me? And Jesus replies that we should forgive 77 times or 70 times 7. And what Jesus is actually saying is that the disciples should not be keeping count of how many times they are to forgive. Whether it's one time, seven, 7,000 times, it doesn't matter. We keep on forgiving each other again and again. So he continues to tell this parable of why this is the case. We carry on from verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Now, I want to just pause here for a moment because a lot has happened and much can be lost on us. And I don't want us to gloss over this section that we've just read. So firstly, have you ever traveled somewhere abroad where the currency is just vastly different? And so, for example, a three-course meal in you know, for two people, in a mid-range restaurant in Indonesia will set you back about 250,000 Indonesian rupiah. I hear that and I'm like, good value? Maybe, I don't know. 250,000 sounds like a lot. Am I being ripped off? Maybe. I don't look Indonesian, so probably. <laughs> so similarly, I thought, 
it would be good to work out how much the servant actually owed so we can get a, a grasp around, uh, around what this figure is uh, and have a better frame of reference for the parable as it would have been understood by the disciples at the time. So we're going to do a few calculations to work out the debt, and it'll be fun, I promise. Um, so it says in the parable that the servant owed the master 10,000 talents. So one talent, it's 10,000 talents, one talent, we'll go working up, is the wage that someone would get for 6,000 days of work. If you rest one day a week, which every law-abiding Jew would be doing, then 6,000 days of work equates to just under 20 years' worth of wages. So, you're with me. We figured out what one talent is, but remember the debt is 10,000 talents. So 10,000 talents is the wage for 60 million days of work. And don't worry, I've worked it out for you so you don't have to. If you work six days a week, that would amount to 191,693 years. And if you're hardcore and you don't take a day off, then you can shave off a few years to make it 164,383 years. That's how long you would have to work to pay off a debt of 10,000 talents. Aren't you glad I've done the maths for you? So to bring it back to our current time, if we were to take the living wage right now, which is about 1090 pounds an hour, and you were to work a nine to five jobs, job seven days a week, because you're hardcore, for 164,343 years, it would amount to 5,230,709,004 pounds. Hopefully the parable is starting to feel a little bit more real to us now. And what am I trying to say with all this? I'm saying that, of course, the servant can't pay it off. He's not able to pay off this debt. We now know that he can't pay off the debt. The disciples knew he can't pay off the debt. And that's the point of this ludicrous amount that Jesus mentions here. He has absolutely no way to pay it off. But you know what's also ridiculous? This is what also is lost on us. The servant asks for patience for a little bit more time to pay it off. It's hilarious. He is asking for patience to pay off a debt that's going to take him at least 160,000 years to pay off. And I like to think that I'm optimistic, but this guy's on another level, thinking he's going to be around long enough to do that. And it's an impossible task. It's not going to happen. But, he says, but it says here that the king takes pity on him. He intervenes and forgives the debt. And the disciples by this point are thinking, what's just happened? Imagine being forgiven that big a debt. It's mad. It's unheard of. So we carry on with the parable. We're with the disciples now. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found, out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded, me, pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father, says Jesus, will do to, you, to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So we first heard of the generous forgiveness that the master offered his, offered his servant. And now Jesus tells us that this same servant comes across a fellow servant who owes him a hundred dari. So we're going to compare, again, the debt. A hundred denarii is the wage for a hundred days' work. So each day you work, you get one denarius. And this debt is tiny in comparison to what he has just been forgiven. He is now in the position that his master was in just, a mo- just moments ago. And the story unfolds much the same way. The fellow servant falls down, pleads with him to have patience, and he would pay. But there are two differences this time. The first difference is the amount, as we've mentioned. The amount that's owed, 100 denarii compared to 60 million that the other servant had just had forgiven. And the second difference is that the servant doesn't forgive the debt, but further still, he doesn't even have the patience to let him pay it off, which this time is actually quite possible considering that it's only about four months' wages. So as the parable comes to an end, we see that the master finds out about this interaction between those fellow servants. And so he summons the unforgiving servant to him and says that after being forgiven himself, the servant should have had mercy on his fellow servant. So he sends the unforgiving servant to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And here Jesus ends the parable of the unforgiving servant. And as we read this parable, one of the points that comes through is just how amazing God's forgiveness is. As I've said today, we we know that God is forgiving. It's in his character, it's in his word, it's in the person of Jesus. This parable goes to show God's forgiveness and just how forgiving he is, and God is so forgiving. Jesus highlights the amazing thing that God has done for each and every one of us. God, like the king in the parable, has forgiven a debt that no one of us could have paid off, And as we said earlier, Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross is what it took for our sins to be forgiven. We couldn't do that. No one could have paid that price, but God himself in Christ settled that debt. So God forgives us, yes, and he forgives a lot. His capacity for forgiveness is immense, and some of you need to know that today, that you are fully forgiven by God. It's interesting, actually, that we that we sang about that this morning. Some of you are holding on to something that you you did and you can't forgive yourself and it's leading you to a place of self-hatred and that has to stop. You think it's too big, too serious, it's too shameful. Something you think no one could possibly forgive. And maybe you're in a place where maybe you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian and you're here thinking, how could I possibly be forgiven? And the master in the parable doesn't forgive the debt in part. He forgave the whole thing, all of it. And you need to know that God forgives you and he forgives you fully. So knowing that God is forgiving and that he forgives a lot, we now move on to the second point of this parable, that we should forgive others because we have been forgiven. 
And to some of you, it may seem obvious that forgiveness is a key aspect of the Christian faith in the sense that God forgives us, right? But God's forgiveness doesn't stop there. It goes further than that. God's forgiveness and love for us doesn't end with us, but is meant to transform us into people who are more forgiving of others. You see, the fact that God offers us forgiveness is meant to be the driving force for our own ability to forgive those around us. God forgives us. He has forgiven so much. And his forgiveness reaches further than we could ever understand. And so the parable just makes this clear that in light of this forgiveness that we have received, in light of the forgiveness that God extends to each and every one of us, we're expected to do something. And what we're expected to do is to forgive others. And if we actually grasp that we have been forgiven, then the outcome naturally is that we forgive others. So God's forgiveness is extended to us, but it carries on through us to those around us. And this is why the parable that we read earlier hits so hard. Even with all that the master forgave, the unforgiving servant is left unchanged. The master's forgiveness did not produce in him a similar response when he was in the same position. And Peter had asked, how many times should he forgive? And Jesus' reply was, why are you counting? Why are you counting how many times you should forgive others when you have been forgiven so much yourself? Jesus expects his disciples to forgive others. And it comes from the overflow of forgiveness that they have received themselves from God. And Jesus' parables actually often hold up a mirror to the person that they're being told to. And in this case, Jesus is teaching his disciples to look at themselves and see how much they have been forgiven by God. And actually, the disciples almost instinctively would have been outraged or at least perplexed at the servant in the parable who isn't able to forgive that hundred denarii after having his own debt of 10,000 talents forgiven. Once we see God's radical forgiveness in our own lives, it is meant to change us deeply. It is meant to change us to the point where we're forgiving of others, where it comes naturally, that it's just a natural overflow and that we can do it more easily and more readily. So just to summarize, second point so far, we have said that God's forgiveness in our own lives is meant to change us so that we are more forgiving of others. And Jesus expects there to be an overflow of what God has done for us and that should produce within us a readiness to forgive those around us. I'll just say that again. Jesus expects there to be an overflow from what God has done for us that should produce within us a readiness to forgive those around us. The parable isn't the only time that Jesus speaks to his disciples about forgiving others either. He mentions it multiple times. One of these, those examples is <clears throat> of this expectation to forgive others uh, it can be found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 12, when Jesus teaches his disciples uh, how to pray. Uh, and in verse 12, it says, Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Jesus encourages us to ask our Father for forgiveness in the same way that we have forgiven those around us. And straight away in verse in verses 14 and 15, he clarifies, 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And it's important here to note that this is not talking about whether or not you are saved. Please don't hear that if you don't forgive someone, then you're not saved. That is not what I'm saying. That's not what this passage is saying. Your salvation does not depend on you being able to forgive others. It depends on faith in Jesus, believing that he died and for the forgiveness of your sins. So I just wanted to be clear that this isn't about salvation. Rather, it is talking about our communion with God, our daily being right with him. It's about receiving that forgiveness from God that we need every day, every hour. Our unforgiveness towards others hinders our fellowship with God and receiving his moment-by-moment forgiveness. For if we keep our fists tightly closed with unforgiveness towards those who have wronged us, we cannot open them to receive that forgiveness that we need from God. So verses 14, 15 in Matthew, uh, Matthew 6 give us a firm warning about forgiving others. And this is actually because if we don't forgive others, we're actually denying our common ground as sinners in need for God's, God's forgiveness. We all need God's forgiveness. We're all operating on this same level playing field. So if God can forgive us, how can we say that we aren't going to forgive someone who is in the same situation as us? How can we say, God, forgive me, and expect his forgiveness, but then not extend it to others who are equally in need of forgiveness? It's like saying it's good enough for me, but not for that person. So we end up placing ourselves in a position of judgment that is higher than God. And remember how the parable says, uh, the master questions his servant. He says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Is the servant somehow better or above the master or his, or, and his master and king? And in the same way, we are to extend mercy We are to extend mercy to others because we have received mercy. And it isn't that God's forgiveness of sin is a direct result of us forgiving others. It's not dependent on us. But when we forgive, our understanding of God's forgiveness is played out. When we grasp God's forgiveness, when we understand that he is always there to forgive us every day, every moment we do something to hurt him, then we are empowered to forgive others. So to sum up, the expectation to forgive others stems in the forgiveness that we have already received from God. And as we extend forgiveness uh, to others, it illustrates our belief that Jesus died for our sins and that we are forgiven ourselves. And it's important to say that Jesus didn't just talk about forgiveness. He lived this out in his own life. Jesus modeled a radical forgiveness to us throughout his life right till the very end. As God and man, he both gives himself for the forgiveness of our sins and he forgives those who wrong him. Even when he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. That's in Luke 23, 34. Jesus forgave the people who were about to kill him. That's how amazing forgiveness can be. It's huge. Now, 
For some of you here, you may be thinking, I could never do that. There are some things that I could never forgive, or this is too hard. How can I forgive after that person did this or said that to me? How could we forgive those who do irreparable damage like those who killed Jesus? And yes, I want to make an incision here. It is hard. Forgiving others is definitely not easy. There's no two ways about it. It's not an easy thing to do. It may be easy to ask God for his forgiveness, but it's difficult to grant that same forgiveness to others, especially when they have hurt us. And this is, you know, it's, forgiveness is not just about saying the words. One definition says that forgiveness is an active process in which you make a conscious decision to let go of negative feelings, whether the person deserves it or not. The pain we experience when we are wronged is real. We feel the damage that it's caused, and we hold on to it because we want justice. We, want, we know that something has happened which was wrong, and we want to do something about it. Often our first reaction is actually taking matters into our own hands. Uh, so similar to the unforgiving servant, we want to grab whoever wronged us by the neck and start choking so that they make amends or at least feel as hurt as we do from the thing that they've done to us. And instead of letting go of those negative feelings, we hold on to them and plot our revenge. We forget that actually God is the judge. He is the one who judges and he has forgiven us. So of course, forgiving others is hard to do. We all know that. We've experienced it, and yet Jesus expects us to forgive others. Therefore, knowing that it isn't easy, but also at the same time being convinced that it's something that Jesus asks us to do, how can we know whether we are harboring unforgiveness in our hearts and what can we do about it? So for some of us, it will be obvious that we're harboring unforgiveness, we're mad at someone, we're feeling the bitterness, the anger, the hurt, the pain from what people have done to us that is, is sitting there now in your, in, in your mind's eye. For others, it's not so obvious that we're harboring unforgiveness. And one way to check is while we think of someone who has hurt us, can we bless them? Can we wish them well or be glad if they succeed? Would we pray for them? And that can be hard. But if you can't do this, this might be a sign that you are harboring that unforgiveness. It might be a sign that you've not actually fully forgiven them yet. So, once we identify that we are indeed harboring that unforgiveness, and we know that we need to forgive, what can we do about it? How, you know, how do we do it? And the thing is, we can all become better at forgiving. It's a journey. We keep on learning again and again, day by day, how to forgive, and we ask the Holy Spirit to help us forgive others. We ask that he may reveal to us the depths of forgiveness that he has for us, that we may understand it, and that that would spur us on to forgive others. Remember that realizing God's forgiveness uh, 
for us, realizing what he has done for us, does actually make it easier to forgive others. All of us have been hurt at some point in the past, or maybe we're, we're hurting still right now uh, due to someone's sin, and we have a choice to forgive. And if the choice is based on our feelings, we're actually never going to forgive because the pain and the hurt that we feel doesn't start to go away after we forgive and let go. That's often how it works. And often forgiveness isn't a one-time thing either. It's a over and over again, day by day, making that conscious decision until the pain goes away completely. And we need to remember that forgiving others doesn't let them off the hook for what they've done. It's just that we're not the ones that are going to be doing the judging. After all, every one of us needs God's forgiveness. We need his grace in our own lives just as much as those who we need to forgive. So by forgiving others and acknowledging that we are also sinners and unable to judge those who, are wrong, who wronged us, sorry, Forgiving others frees us from judging others. God is the judge. It's his job, not ours. So we leave it to him. And remember, I'll say it again, God has forgiven us. So all we can do is forgive others and entrust ourselves to those, ourselves and those around us to God because he's the only one that we answer to. And just coming up to finish now, but I just wanted to read a, uh, a wonderful account of forgiveness uh, that you may have heard before. It's from a Dutch woman called uh, Corrie ten Boom. Uh, she was taken to a concentration camp during the Second World War for hiding Jews in her house. And along with her father and sister, uh, she was imprisoned. She was the only survivor of the three. And after the war, she established a home for other camp survivors and went on to be a missionary preaching uh, God's forgiveness and the need for reconciliation. So she was invited to a church in, in Munich to speak, and after she had finished preaching, she saw a man approaching and recognized him as one of the guards of the same concentration camp that she had been held in. Uh, so in her book called The Hiding Place, she details the interaction that she had with him. And uh, I've got it here written out, uh, an excerpt. I'll just read it for you. And if you're a visual person like I am, maybe you want to like close your eyes and you can imagine it. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this van. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the, parched, the, the, the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard in Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. His hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. 
Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives us, that God forgives, has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I love that. It's so powerful what the Holy Spirit can do to help us forgive. She says that she needed God's forgiveness every day, and she could not offer it to this man, but she knew she had to. So what did she do? She asked Jesus for help. And it goes to show that Corrie could not forgive in her own strength, but she decided to take a step forward in faith and God gave her the power to do so. Likewise, for us, we, we don't do it alone. We can't do it alone. So we ask the Holy Spirit for the power to forgive others. We partner with God. We partner with the Holy Spirit in making that choice to forgive every day until it no longer hurts and we have peace. And choosing to forgive accelerates healing, recovery, and brings joy and peace as we hand over what has hurt us. We hand it over to God, and as we do that, we invite the Holy Spirit to fill that space that has been left empty. Nelson Mandela once said that unforgiveness is like drinking a cup of poison and expecting the other person to die. It's true, right? That bitterness, the anger, the hate and frustration of unforgiveness, it takes its toll on us. And Jesus wants you to be free of this. This story I've just shared shows how countercultural forgiveness is. This story makes absolutely no sense to anyone who doesn't have a faith. How could Corrie forgive that person that had caused so much pain and hurt to her and her family? And in a world where we look out for number one and you're seen as a fool, if you don't take action against someone who has hurt you, we're more likely to sue someone or take them to court rather than forgive them. Forgiveness is not the norm. It is not encouraged. But this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what God's heavenly kingdom is. When we forgive others, we're actually seeing God's kingdom literally breaking into the here and now. And this level of forgiveness, it just doesn't make sense. If you have not grasped that you have been forgiven yourself, it does not make sense. 
And as we let go of the things that have hurt us, we can start that process of healing and restoration, experiencing the freedom that the Holy Spirit brings. The wounds that sin leaves in us need tending to. And the Holy Spirit is a comforter. He is a healer. And he restores beyond what is humanly possible. And as we forgive others and let go, we allow the Holy Spirit the space to do that work in us, to start that work in us. I remember it's a process. So remember, Jesus expects us to forgive others. We do this not in our own strength, but through asking the Holy Spirit to come alongside us. And, and as that happens, he helps us forgive. This forgiveness of others is rooted in our understanding and our acceptance of God's forgiveness in our own lives. We know that we have been forgiven and are at the same time in, in need of forgiveness every single day. Therefore, our response is to extend that same forgiveness that we have received to others around us. So let's stand and we're going to take a moment to pray together. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you in this place. And I just ask that you would reveal to us, is there anyone I need to forgive today? so wonderfully rich and so deeply challenging. Father, I pray, help us forgive and help us know we're forgiven. It seems so obvious to me the Lord's trying to get our attention on something this morning. Kate would have never known what Thomas was speaking on. As I walked in this morning, it's just rest in the presence of God. Somebody said this to me. They said in Psalm 119, I feel you want to share this, that the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And Phil's just going to share. He had this reflection in worship. Again, he would have never known that that word was shared with us this morning. But Phil? Yeah, I just had a, a really clear sense that Jesus wanted us to see him for who he is. Um, which is both the stone that the builders rejected, but then he was the one who became the capstone, the pinnacle. And the image that I saw was just of how Jesus had made us, each of us, to be the temple in which he lives. He resides within us. 
And then at the same time, he has become a temple into whom we go. He is the one into whom we enter. He is the capstone, the one that we can depend upon, the one that we can run to, the fortress that we turn to. Let's just take a moment. I think some of you will have felt the pain, the damage. I think the physical is often linked to the spiritual. I just believe in a releasing of the presence of God over us this morning that will see many of you healed emotionally and physically as we let go. There was another word this morning about some of you feeling... Either everyone else is a fraud or I'm a fraud. Actually, just come afresh, maybe even for the first time, to see the goodness of God. You've never seen it before. Come and see it afresh. As we rest like this in the presence of God, sometimes I think even some of you can physically feel the manifest presence of God and you can see that happening to a number of you now. Lord, increase our awareness. Just in a moment, we'll give you some of you an opportunity to respond to that. But I feel like some of you... Um, even physically, as I say, like you have an awareness of this weight. It's like you have a heavy rucksack on your back, or you have like a. It's like you, you you've got a bag of sugar or something in your hands. I just I just want to encourage you. Lay it before the Lord. Lay that oppressive burden that is not yours to carry before the Lord. He sets us free. His truth sets us free. His forgiveness sets us free. As we forgive others, it sets us free. Yeah, and I just got a sense as well that for some of you, maybe you, you have this framework in your mind of, yes, God forgives, but I need to do something. I need to... I need to do something to, to, to earn that forgiveness. And the, the, the parable just says it so clearly, like all the, the servant did was ask. I think that fits in with, with just that image of, of knowing Jesus, knowing who he is. Like he is the one that takes the first step. He has already taken that first step in dying and dying on the cross and raising again. He did that for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And this could be a moment actually just to come afresh to him and, and, and to say, yes, I believe that I don't have to do anything. I believe that that this is the, the free gift. And for some of us, I think it would just be a, a, a moment of 
allowing God in, allowing the Holy Spirit to do that transformative work in our own lives. That is just going to overflow in, in forgiveness for others. Just, just have a sense as well as um, somebody here. You, it's like you almost feel like you've got a spike running down the the back of your neck. Somebody where you, you almost can't um, close your your hands. They like they they spasm and they they're constantly in pain. And um, also, someone where it's like your spine is not aligning right. I don't fully know what that means. Like it's it's bent or it's not it's not in the alignment that it should be. Just if we respond to any of those words, or there'll be many more physically as well, but anything that's been shared or anything else you'd like prayer for, I always think whilst people are stood, it's so much easier to get out of our rows. I'll just encourage you to come towards the front so that so that people know who you are and they can they can pray alongside you. So why don't we just take a moment while we, we respond to to the Lord now? Come and let people pray with you and stand with you. And and as people do that, let's not leave them long. As if you're in a small group, come and join some of these guys and pray with them. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.